To ship, of course. It's that time again, time for Build Engineering, DevOps, Release Management, and everything in between. It's the Ship Show. I'm your co-host, Paul Reed. J. Paul Reed on Twitter. I actually, uh, no, no, Sober Build Eng got sober or got drunk and became uh, at J. Paul Reed on Twitter and at uh, jpaulreed.com, actually. I did a whole, everything got redirects for everyone. <laughs> Who's with me on this uh, this fall evening? Chris Paul evening. Seth, uh, Cheese Plus on Twitter. And this is Pete, uh, at Pete Cheslock on Twitter. How are y'all doing? I- I'm very sad that Sober Bill Inch is gone. I know you, you, uh, you I went to tweet. Out. I went to tweet at it and it like wouldn't work and I got really confused. <laughs> and then I went there and it was like, I'm J. Paul Reed now. And I'm like, oh, like what, what the fuck? The end of an era. Yeah, yeah. It's it. It was kind of funny because I had people at uh, Velocity asking like, "Oh, who should I follow? Which idea?" I'm like, "No, I renamed it. You don't have to do anything, but you will have the if you tweet at Sober Build and you're gonna get like me, but with one follower, which I think is you." So <laughs> I was like, I was like, "What the f- is a J Paul Reed?" I, know. I was like, "I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. What, what's what, a J Paul what, what is what is what is one of those? What, what is a Jabal or Ed? Yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it listed on Amazon. I can't buy it. So what is yeah. it? Yeah. Well, Pete Cheslock, you can't give me any shit, Pete. Your Twitter name's your Twitter name. Yeah, I mean, you gotta gotta something something personal brand, I guess. I don't know <laughs> something personal YOLO DevOps brand. Um, I mean, the sad thing is I'm often confused with Pete Chessbot. Like, uh, <laughs> like Pete Chessbot will tweet random people and they'll be like, Pete, did you mean this for me? This doesn't make any sense. And I'll My be like, favorite was when Dominica DeGrandis, who is so uh, wonderful, and Chessbot tweeted something at her and she no, was like, it was the, she was it like, was- reverse so i was at devops days austin and she was there you know this was like in april or whatever and i was like you know working out i was sitting at the bar and i'm like working on my talk and i'm not really paying attention and she was apparently like you know calling to me she's like hey pete hey pete and i I like didn't hear her i was just like too much background noise so she tweeted at pete chesbot and was like hey i just said hi to you but you were too in the zone i'll see you at dinner and of course the bot replied back like (laughs) and she was like this is so weird and then she was telling me this whole story like I tweeted you and you tweeted me back like just nonsense is everything okay and I'm like it took me a solid five minutes to be like what the hell is she talking about I'm so confused right now and then I look at the Twitter and I'm like oh you, you tweeted the bot and so I don't know what that says that the auto is ruining your life that the autofill for the bot is actually you know coming up before my own name <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually getting I'm getting a resurgence of people confusing the the cheese shop in San Francisco that shares the same name as, as I do <laughs> oh um, those those f- <clears throat> uh, he said politely. But yeah, so so I get, I've been getting a lot of those like people like thanking me for like bringing joy to their wedding. People are like, hey, you should come check out this like we're doing a like you know a cheese crawl or whatever. I don't know what do you, whatever whatever you do with, with with regard to cheese, like a wine and cheese thing. Oh man, I'm just and I'm getting the, I'm getting those I'm getting those like several like the those have picked up recently. <laughs> so I'm just like getting these like. Hey, we're having a great time. Thanks, Cheese Plus. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Like that, that makes me feel really good about myself, even though I had nothing to do with it. Well, tonight we're going to be talking with Steve Pereira, Steve elsewhere on Twitter, uh, about the DevOps checklist. Uh, what is a DevOps checklist? Should we be checklisting DevOps? And why would you want to checklist your own DevOps? But uh, first up, as we always do, news and views. Um, our first news item is uh, actually something that uh, Adam, I'm going to butcher his name, Ochaniki, or uh, the easier way to say it, at from one source on Twitter, linked us to. Uh, it looks like we actually uh, predicted the future. I think we should have uh, like party and applause for this. Uh, Ars Technica reporting new attacks on the network time protocol can defeat HTTPS. Some scary research here. Uh, TLS certs can be attacked by changing time and years. DNSSEC, uh, months, you just uh, change the time. Bitcoin, you can actually fake it by switching uh, hours. Routing, the routing public key infrastructure, you can switch it by days. And Kerberos, you can attack that bad boy in minutes just by changing the time. Uh, <laughs> Pete, everything is horrible. Everything is horrible. No, everything I mean, I, continues I, to be horrible. I saw this when it popped up and, you know, it was it's a very kind of flashy title. Like, you know, everything's terrible and 
and this thing that we've been using for whatever 30 40 years now is completely vulnerable and you know it's i mean it's bad it's not like oh my god it's terrible i think the biggest thing about it is that if you follow kind of standard security posture and you know you lock down ports like really like you shouldn't really have the stuff open externally and you you should have some protections internally i think they even call out to you know that some of these attacks are not super practical in a real world setting because and and this is actually something where like you know you should probably internally be monitoring for time drift um because if your time <laughs> suddenly drifts by like 24 hours like that's something really bad going on and for any of you running distributed databases when your time's off you know in the millisecond range like weird things happen so <laughs> yeah exactly right like you know databases are easy unless time you know because time is easy right <laughs> Right. Time is totally easy until you realize all of the ways in which you try and count time using a computer is fundamentally screwed. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, and this actually goes uh, dovetails nicely or just a reminder that uh, the actual, because there have been so many memes about this, the actual day behind uh, Back to the Future that we are, the, the future was what, last week or something. So if if uh, you're trying to go back in time <laughs> to the 50s when SSL certificates were secure, you're going to be in for a fail. <laughs> so next up, actually related to that, we're going to link to an article from a couple weeks ago talking about uh, how is the NSA breaking so much crypto? A couple of uh, researchers were trying to figure out this out, and it, it came out of the uh, Edward Snowden uh, kind of revelations and some of the slides that didn't have context um, about how are they able to do this. And, and uh, there was a uh, researchers revealed that they think they've solved the mystery. It actually has to do with the Diffie-Hellman key exchange and the failure uh, in practice. And in fact, if you, I, I love actually that this boils down to a requirements problem. Basically, the answer is when the mathematicians came up with the algorithm, then computer scientists got a hold of it and just fucked it up. And so that's why the NSA can just hack everything now. You know, reading through, you know, really kind of dense well-researched papers on this stuff is not normally something that I find to be super interesting. Having said that. <laughs> having said that, I actually did read through this one. So this is, uh, this people might recognize this as the logjam attack. I don't know, maybe six months ago, it got kind of, out there, you know, and logjam had to do with, you know, basically using like uh, weak Diffie-Hellman exchanges for, you know, the SSL stuff. So basically, I think it was anything under 1024. But the paper in this and the article as well talked about is basically a lot of the 1024 bit primes that are out there have been broken. And it was like, it basically goes into a lot of great detail around like kind of what that means from like a math mathematics and cryptography perspective. The, the nice thing is, is that pretty much is like, if you want to feel better and protect yourself, like use like a 2048-bit prime or use, you know, go up from there. So, you know, but but again, I think this is something that if you go to the weekdh.org website, which uh, I think will be in the show notes, you actually see a lot of details around how affected this is when people use weak uh, Diffie-Hellman ciphers. And it's it's a pretty significant chunk of the internet. So um, yeah. I think that's, and this is one of those things where like, Things are scary when it comes to security because just because that little checkbox is green or whatever, the little thing at the top of the, the the bar is green at the web browser, you know, may not actually mean anything. Like there's shades of green, I guess some might say. You know what? You know what they say, Pete. What do they? What do they say? More bits, more problems. <laughs> I was actually really hoping for him to make a real deep cut incubus joke there, but he didn't make it. And now I'm kind of sad. And I, I was actually now I'm just now I'm just going to sulk back to the fact that I've admitted that. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to do a pause and a. <sighs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, the best thing I think we can learn about this stuff is that if you haven't been to the Qualys SSL Labs website to test your company or your application certificate, you should go there. You know, just Google for SSL Labs and, and get to that site. It'll basically tell you how vulnerable, what the quality of your cert is. It'll it'll test all the different features. So it's free too. So you should everyone should go and do that. Take Remember, according to your presentation, free avocado fact, even they get it right. Free avocado fact has a SHA-256 SSL cert and yeah. a huge chunk of the internet still does not. So come if on. If they can do it, you can do it. No excuses, people. Be, be, be inspired by the avocado. Be the avocado <laughs> that you want to see in the world. Yes. 
And on our continuing train of sadness about computers, Joanna Rutkowski, a security researcher over at uh, InvisibleThings.org, posted a write-up, and and there's a great also write-up on GitHub called x86 considered harmful. You may think, oh, it's another one of those considered harmful posts and not worth reading because it's one of they use that. I, I remember a post that was once like considered harmful in quotes considered harmful, but this you want to pay attention to do. This is scary as Pete, how scary is it? How many pairs of underwear am I going to need to, to protect myself? <laughs> I, like, I like you just you just cut to him like a news anchor. It's like, and now Pete in security. Like, <laughs> Pete is our, how's the security weather forecast, Pete? Uh, everything's f***ed in <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like, if you if you do anything on a computer that is connected to the internet, assume that none of that is private. I think <laughs> I think that's really the only way. That's you can a safe. That's a good. That's a good. Like it was a default presumption that works really well. Like so, when my kids get older, I will hand them a laptop and say, "FYI, as long as I own this stuff, there's no right to privacy because you know you are my child, and that's the laws of this household." Pretty much the same for the rest of the world, I guess. At this point, yes. So what I love about this, we'll link to the paper. The paper's like another one of those heady, in-depth. I'm not around. This is the real world as it is. Analysis. There is also a really nice write-up on GitHub that kind of goes through it as well, and and I think they're they're different things. But what I love is that there's an introduction and then it's like, oh, so you wanted to be trustworthy and trusted and secure with a question mark. And it's like, oh, well, okay. Uh, the bias and boot security, let's talk about that. So then they go through the bias and then they talk about how bad SMM and tails are going to screw you over. And then you're like, well, let's talk about how the bias is going to screw you. Oh, look, maybe we can write protective flash chip. Oh, wait, no, actually we can't do that. And then it talks about secure boot and the EFI. If you remember that, I remember like the whole big, we can't run Linux on anything now because secure boot. And then Nope, nope, nope. Hashtag. So nope. what? What I love. What I love is that when I when I read that same thing, I loved. I loved the kind of progression. It was like, oh, but maybe this, and it's like, oh wait, by the way, USB is an attack vector. Yeah, and nope. it, it's it's like reading through Russian history. You're just like, oh, but th- it'll get better. It'll nope, 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 nope. <laughs> just nope. like just sadness and pain it's and suffering. Saying, it's turtles saying nope all the way down. It's it was bad. So yeah, I, I do I do love it though because it really does. It does drive home the the fact that security is is a problem that is all the way down. Like you, if you're if you're ignoring like for a lot of people like security is like OS level up, and they're you know at this point like you can't you can't afford to be ignoring like the silicon at play. There's a lot of stuff and a lot of attack surface now, and it's scary. So just get, you should, gonna get worse. You should just, you should just listen to whatever Pete says because he's like an authority or a thought leader or something. So yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. I really. Can you absolve us. I, <laughs> I only play uh, on TV. You know, not not Does in real Pete, life. Pete, can you offer indulgences? Like like network security indulgences, like from from the church of the church the church of like NetSec. <laughs> you're just like right. You're like, oh, here you've done bad things, but you've given me some money, and so you're absolved of your networking and your your network and security sins. Yeah. Well, last up tonight, uh, switching gears a little bit from the sadness of security, uh, we have an article uh, on TechCrunch by Stephen Nichols saying coding academies are nonsense. His argument is that the pop-up of these these ways to learn supposedly how to be a full-stack unicorn engineer in you know six weeks are just ways to uh, to get people into debt, and they are uh, not uh, serving the industry well or serving people that are getting them well. And in fact, he points out to the joke about Peter Norvig's teaching yourself programming in ten years. And the fact that if you think you can learn this, you know, the remember the Sam's book, t, uh, the Sam's books learn C++ in seven days. Like it doesn't work like that. What what, what do you two think of this? Did you? Did, I remember sorry. getting one of those books and being like, there is no way this is going to work. And sure <laughs> enough, I did not learn C++. Um, <laughs> you in, know, it doesn't. In, in not seven in, days. Not, not in seven days, not in seven years. Like it just never really, it just never really took hold. So yeah, exactly. yeah. What, is, what does learn even mean though? I mean, I was very dubious on that because it's like I remember working with the 
with a really bright engineer who was like, yeah, I learned Ruby on Rails this last weekend. It's like, well, what does that actually mean? Like, did you learn yeah. everything possible? I mean, it's it's like, I it's got like, a thing know, running. Very big things, right? It's almost like, you know, programming languages are similar to like speaking languages. You know, are you fluent? No, you're not fluent. Like native speaker fluent? No, you're not native speaker level of fluency. You know, do you have like idioms in that language, right? Like those are usually the very hard things. <laughs> do, to do, do you out. get all the jokes in Ruby? Yeah, so do it's, the it's pearl like, jokes you know, translate into Ruby? <laughs> it's like, could you order a beer in Mexico? That's pretty much what I learned this over the weekend means. That's kind of the the analysis there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the you know the way it's funny when when somebody says, uh, and especially and and I, I I hate that I my mind goes there, but it's always a twenty something saying this because I think this gets beat out of you in your late twenties and early thirties where they're like a twenty something will say, oh, I learned X in a weekend, and you're like. Actually, you learned enough X, but not you. You have no clue all the ways X is going to f you and the, your company over royally. So yeah, the only time I really trust people when they say that they 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 they've learned X or they know X really well is when they basically say how much X sucks. <laughs> then I'm like, oh wow, X is terrible. Tell me more, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's actually a really good point when you can say X is terrible, uh, but I still use X because these are the things you need, and X happens to do that. In fact, it's so funny, Pete. You and I are doing some work together, and uh, uh, I, I'm I've been doing that with um, some of your colleagues about submodules. I'm like, listen, just stop googling because every every link there says submodules suck. Just work with me, and it'll, it'll get better. It gets better. <laughs> I think. No, that's the thing. It's like it's a useful tool that is for a specific purpose yes uh, <laughs> and most people use that tool wrong <laughs> don't don't over so, somebody actually came in and actually asked that in in like irc recently and i was somebody said yeah you really really should not ever use submodules." and i said dear dear lord don't do that if you have any like if you have any grasp on like sanity they're not that aren't. bad they're not that bad <laughs> however i will point out uh actually i meant to tell you this uh coop pete one of your one of your co-workers uh was actually saying i explained something to him about how to work around some submodule weirdness and it involved like sim linking and de-knitting some stuff and then stitching this in and he was like yeah i think i've been using git long enough that that sounds completely reasonable to me <laughs> so all right, on that note, I think it's a good time to get on to talking about the DevOps checklist, which we'll be talking about next with Steve uh, here on the Ship Show. Welcome back to The Chip Show. I'm your host, Paul Reed, and we are here tonight with uh, Steve Pereira, and you probably might know him on Twitter as uh, Steve Elsewhere. He's the CTO, uh, and we, what do we decide? Grand Poobah of DevOps over at Statflow. Welcome to The Chip Show, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, I like that title. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And then also, uh, if people are familiar with your name or your Twitter name, you were a DevOps Days Toronto organizer. And then we happen to see you go to lots of DevOps Days. You were in Ghent and Denver and mm -hmm. Velocity. So that's that may also be where people are familiar with you. You do a lot of speaking and thinking about the DevOps. Uh, yeah, I, I try to whenever possible. <laughs> and we're actually here tonight to talk about one of the things that you've put together to help other people think, uh, other people in other organizations think about about the DevOps and where they are on that. We're talking about the DevOps checklist, which you can check out and follow along with us at devopschecklist.com. What is the DevOps checklist? Uh, it's, it's mostly uh, an effort to sort of start a conversation. Like I had this grand vision of putting out this very opinionated, very specific list of items where people would sort of like, you know, read through it and then recoil in, in disgust and <laughs> or, or, you know, rally against something that, that they really loved and then have, you know, this giant conversation on the internet, which of course, you know, is coming soon, I suppose. But uh, the idea was really just to start a dialogue around like, what does DevOps mean to any specific individual or group of people uh, and the larger community as a whole, right? And, and I have many opinions and I don't hesitate to share them. So this was my effort of sort of, here's what it means to me, here are the things that I think are really important. And I, I guess it was kind of a reaction to seeing the term and the movement being pulled in all these different directions and wanting to sort of put a stake in the ground and say, 
you know, here's what I think. So, well, it's interesting from the standpoint that if you actually look through the list and read through it, it seems relatively, I mean, empathetic to me. I, you know, you were saying you're trying to put a stake in the ground and sort of get people to, to talk about it. But you know, I think if you go through there, it, it doesn't uh, seem super controversial. Have you have you found it's been controversial or any of the things on it are controversial? I don't think it's controversial, of course. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's just common knowledge. But there were some interesting points of feedback. There were a lot of not much disagreement, like outright disagreement, but I think there was some very valid points around people feeling like they were just failing the whole thing because they were part of an organization that didn't value these uh, specific aspects of the movement or, you know, they're part of a DevOps team and they feel like they're trapped in this misunderstanding of what they should be doing around DevOps and how that is affecting their job and their role in the organization and, and the organization's adoption of specific paradigms and, and methods. I know I certainly, um, both Cheslock and, and Seth actually, and I have sat around, and I've sat around with you sort of late night at conferences after, you know, dinner and, and you, you know, you have a beer or your favorite beverage of choice, whatever that may be. And, and we talk about a lot of these things, but not in such a sort of codified manner where people can actually relate, relate them to their organization or to each other. And so in that regard, it, it is, I, I think, a useful method. It kind of is a, a, a level, if you will, right? Well, yeah, well, you know, what's interesting, too, is I, as I look through this checklist, as some people might know, I, I tend to be snarky on DevOps. <laughs> I, it might be a, I might be a surprise to a lot of people, but... Uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what what is what is the snark you speak of? Yeah, right. Like Pete, Pete's snarky about DevOps. That seems crazy. Um, <laughs> but you know, as I as I roll through this thing, what I think I really like about this is that the specific items that you're kind of checking that you have or not, they're very like clear and concise. There there's not a lot of room for debate in these, which. I think it's actually great as you go through to just because they should be like gut feelings, right? The, yeah. Like for the learning one, right? Like we cultivate an environment of continuous learning. I don't think you need a lot of description about what that means. Like you probably know if your organization, but also the other part of this that I like is is the usage of we, right? Instead of like my company or my business, because I think like you said, Steve. If you're at a 10,000-person enterprise, like you're going to have a DevOps team. It's probably it's going to be called a DevOps team. That's mm-hmm. fine. It's probably going to be a cross-functional team that might have a bit of every type of person in it, right? So like, it's really hard to say like we as a business because you might have hundreds or thousands of business units. So right. um, you know, so I think it, it's it's and maybe this is how this was all designed to be as I guess least offensive as possible because you're kind of keeping things strangely specific yet open, right? <laughs> I, I was I was just laughing because to your point about the use of we, uh, it's got a couple of things like we use version control and there's a couple of different ways that it says we use version control like we version control I think our documentation and our configuration management right. or it doesn't say why you know version control with a little, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, no DevOps shame. <laughs> no, no DevOps shame. I, I actually did want to ask, I mean, for people that, that maybe are listening to this where they can't bring it up, because uh, I wanted to talk a little bit actually about the structure of the, the way that the checklist is, because if you think about it, like a checklist just is, is you know, in our minds we think of it as a bunch of items that you could say, yes, I do that or no, I don't. Right. But you've really broken it down to a number of sort of main areas, and th- those areas are alignment, context, learning, life cycle, organization, and process. But then what is also interesting is almost like a matrix. You've, you've used the the culture sharing metrics automation, uh, and then you added testing, uh, which I, I thought was notable because we all know about CAMs, but then you also added the T for testing. Um, and then and, and so here's the thing is that it, the, the checklist items in each of those areas, so in each of alignment, has items that relate to culture or measurement, and then you can filter by them. And some of the, the things are sort of expandable, and they sort of describe more why that is an item on the checklist. Uh, right. did, I, did I do that justice? Oh, you did it more than justice. That was, <laughs> that was wonderful. I, I well, think if I could sort of elaborate a little bit, it's... The basis, well, the history for the checklist is actually built on a on a wonderful checklist called the IXD checklist um, for interaction design, and that was actually uh, an early project by my planet, uh, which is the organization I was working with at the time. And so I basically stole their code and uh, with their permission, 
their no, 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 no. You 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 forked their repository. <laughs> yes, exactly. You, you 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 improved it on GitHub. <laughs> there was no pull request. It was just <laughs> stolen, just outright stolen. <laughs> I asked for permission afterwards. <laughs> Forgiveness. But um, they'd come up with this sort of matrix idea, and I thought it was really the only option that I had. If I was going to lay down 50-odd checklist items, the only way that anyone's going to have any kind of patience to go through this is if I've got some kind of structure, like something to indicate that this isn't just everything that I could think of just listed off the top of my head. You know, I wanted to put a decent amount of thought into how these things fit together and how you should think about sort of the paradigm surrounding each of the items. But yeah, I mean, mechanically, it's it's a handy. I don't know how, how useful it is when you're sort of going through the checklist, but I think reviewing it afterwards and seeing that, you know, we're really weak on alignment, but we seem to have a very strong process focus is useful, right? Because it, it begins to sort of surface where you can improve. Well, and it also seems like it would surface where your values of your organization and your team are. You know, do right. they do they really care about process and not are so concerned about, you know, alignment? Uh, are they trying to infer in line, alignment from process or uh, or context, right? They, they care less about that and care more about other things. Or even life cycle. You know, we see that a lot where ops teams are getting slammed with things. It's because the life cycle of the, the software application is not something that the organization really considers to be particularly uh, important or, or worth you know expending effort on. Right. Well, I, to that point, I did actually want to ask. So you you had mentioned there's there's some disagreement. Again, I know in the thought leadering that we've all done, we've we've certainly had some spirited disagreements about things. What are some of the ones that some of the objections that people uh, discuss or, or come up with? I, I think the main one that really affected me and, and that really hit close to home was that. Uh, so people who would rate really low on the scale, like the very very low on, on this maturity scale, which is entirely you know, my opinion, even though I collected a lot of data to try and put this together in the most objective way possible, a lot of people will fail out really early. Like they, they say, well, like we don't version control everything. So I'm basically, I'm basically like failing all of these checklist items because I'm Fail. failing this first one, right? Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of eye-opening to me. That that and it actually sort of made me think of an idea for maybe better structuring the checklist and making it a little bit easier to work with. Is if you had sort of dependency satisfaction to a certain degree, where you know if you're going to be failing these five things that depend on this one thing, don't make the person check off five things that they're going to fail if you know that they obviously don't satisfy that condition up front. So that would be a way of sort of concatenating the list um, and then having it sort of expand once you satisfy any specific criteria. So Yeah, when you describe it that way, it almost sounds like, uh, I mean, the reaction I had is I could see people that were would be enthused about DevOps and seeing where they were and that sort of thing. They might actually get depressed uh, yes. if, they, if they can't check that first one and then it's just like, well, I feel like I, I'm horrible when I suck and our company sucks, right? If you have, it's you know, spiraling out of control. Yeah, because it is a lot. I mean, it, it's not a long checklist. What he says about 50 items or so. So I could see, you know, you get to the bottom of your, and, and you might be feeling pretty, pretty sad about things. Yeah, and you it's, get, you know, it's you surprising, but it's not at the same time. Like I, I feel like it's, it's like surprising because you people see that, but it's also got that like that very fatalist enterprise approach where like everything's terrible all the time. So they see the checklist, and it's just another, yet another failure in a long list of organizational failures, and that's really, it's, it has the opposite effect. Like you, I've, I've seen, I've, I've seen the same thing talking to companies, and you tell them all this stuff, and they're just like, oh, just another thing we're gonna screw up. It's like, it's like talking to Eeyore, um, and it's well, really, it's really continuous integration. Yeah, it's oh, really, well. it's really sad. It really, and it really takes a lot of your own energy out because you're like, oh man, you're, you're not having fun. Every Every day, you're 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 not solving hard problems, you know. But you see you see this a lot, and like it's it's funny that you mentioned people seeing that with a checklist. I've seen this a lot recently myself, talking to people, and it's it's interesting that it's definitely you want to give them a checklist that makes them feel like they have they're making progress and not like they're failing. There's there's got to be exactly. some way to make them feel like they're achieving something. Like aspirational, right? I, <laughs> right, you know. exactly. So, Instead so, of demotivational. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, demotivational poster checklist. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so Steve, how do you, how do you how do you balance that? I mean, have people sent you their results and said, "Geez, you know, I got a I got a zero on this, or I got a five percent, uh, and now I hate DevOps." Um, <laughs> what do you What do you say to that? I have yet to get that reaction, but um, <laughs> something I really wanted to do was basically make the results of the checklist more actionable. Basically, diagnose the condition uh, associated with a specific score and then provide sort of actionable items based on what was checked off and what was missed for you know improving the state of the baseline and then have people sort of revisit the list on a regular basis you know like quarterly or something and say that we've actually improved our score by 20%. I think that's where a lot of the value is because in many cases and probably the the main motivation for me in this is just People don't know where they stand, right? They don't really know mm. where they stand on an industry average or even just an aspirational industry average. It's very difficult to say unless you go through a process like this. And a lot of people aren't used to making checklists for everything, but it's something that you know sort of comes naturally to me. And I think it establishes a baseline that you can work from and improve on. Well, unlike a checklist, and you know, I'm you know kind of looking at it as we discuss it. Unlike a lot of the checklists that we are used to, I think we're especially if you're de you know developer, operations engineer, you're going to be very used to the sort of runbook style of checklist, mm -hmm. where it says log into this thing, do this thing, run this command, look at this output, check this value, sort of stuff. That is extremely prescriptive and it's very detail oriented. Right. It has it has to be right. If you look at a pilot checklist, which I'm familiar with, it it has to be, which is in some sense why a lot of people don't like them in an ops context, but this is actually more sort of about behaviors, which I, I like. Just looking at the first one, it says reprioritize according to business objectives. That's not super specific. It's not super prescriptive. It doesn't say mm -hmm. you should prioritize certain things over other things. It just says it's a behavior that you exhibit, and a lot of these are written that way, uh, yeah. where it's a behavior that you could observe. So in some sense, that, that use of your, you know, the, how you described it as sort of a health check. Maybe people um, who, who shy away from checklists or have a bad connotation, it really is sort of a health check. Yeah, and it's not sort of like a do not pass go. Do not pass Can't. go, do, do not deploy, do not receive $200. <laughs> That's right. Do not receive bacon. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's unlike an operational checklist. It's it's definitely more of a maturity uh, evaluation, and so it's it's okay to fail things. No one will die if you don't check every box. It's it's a good thing to not check every box because you've done the exercise and you know you have something to at least think about. Right. Even if you disagree that it's important, even if you disagree that it's an action item for you, it's something that you didn't check it off for a reason. And, and maybe that's maybe that's something that's useful to you. Have you ever had uh, an organization use this tool internally to sort of poll people on on what they feel? Because I could totally see a situation where maybe uh, you know the, the, the we sort of make made reference to this a few times. The uh, executive that reads you know in Forbes or CIO, we should do the DevOps right, so they think they are. But then if you went and actually polled people out in the field, they might say no, and we're not not doing that. Right. Well, I actually haven't. That was all part of the plan before joining Statflow, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we sort of got cut short. So this got deployed a month or two before I left, and we were sort of batting around the idea of building sort of a consulting practice inside of MyPlanet, but I was only working part-time at the time, and so this was sort of like the first step to, to doing that. To framing it out, yeah, like what it would look like, what do we base it on? And this would have been, you know, the sort of first step where it's like, here's something free we can send out to everyone. If it's interesting, if they feel like there's pieces that they want to attack, then uh, then that starts a conversation. But I would love to hear stories about uh, anyone who's, who's used it inside of a large organization or even a small organization for that matter. Yeah, yeah. I did want to ask about some of the, the checklist items that I actually read through that, that sort of popped out at me that I, I thought that it was kind of notable that you a asked the question that way. There's a question in there about auditors and regulators mm -hmm. uh, and involving them. I wouldn't have thought that the people those people would be the item is we consult with auditors and regu regulators regularly and seek guidance when designing systems. Where'd that one come from? That's, you know, I, I think a lot of people who, who think of DevOps often just note the note the struggle, right? Note the regulatory struggle, but they don't 
they don't frame it in this way. Yeah, I think that that's probably one of the main takeaways for me from last year's DevOps Enterprise Summit because there was this kind of not a focus, but a lot of attention spent towards auditing and regulation and, and working with people like your legal team or your finance team or you know these fringes outside of tech that don't typically get into the conversation and. It just seemed to me to sort of emphasize the fact that we started this whole thing because of this gap between development and operations. And as we go along, we start to realize that, you know, there's gaps all over the place, right? And, and there's all these teams and groups inside of organizations and even outside organizations now that, and I'll say ideally for me, should be involved in a delivery process or you know operations or sustainability or, or whatever it is that you're trying to do along your continuum and uh, auditing and regulation is a big part of that like building things in a certain way and following your own compass that's something that's afforded to you by experience or granted ability inside of your company but you know it may be it may fly right in the face of a recommendation from someone who's trusted outside your organization or trusted as an authority or some kind of regulation that you have to satisfy. And uh, those are very real world conditions that I think uh, are valuable for everyone to keep in mind. I think it's interesting that it, it, there are a lot of subtle dichotomies in the checklist. Um, and, and this one is actually pretty blatant uh, if you're sort of looking, not looking for it, but if you're kind of paying attention or, or kind of thinking it, about it, not just as a specific checklist item, you have the we consult with auditors and regulators regularly to seek guidance when designing systems. Right, the next item is our team is encouraged to question tasks and priorities, which I I find interesting. Right, there's a natural pull between that. There are a couple other examples um, where you're you know when you talk about valuing time to resolve over over mean time between failure and sort of a measurement capacity. Um, mm -hmm. Did you consciously design there to be tension a little bit in the checklist? Because in some sense there is there is a fundamental attention in development and operations, at least traditionally, and that's what we're trying to resolve and fix. Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely cognizant of the, the fact that there are things that we have to resolve, right, between our differing priorities and our different uh, incentives. And so, you know, it's not as simple as, like, all of these things satisfy me and I can go and check all these boxes. It's very much about these things are true to our entire organization. If I think beyond my sphere of influence, my, beyond my sphere of operations, these are important. And I, I actually see them as a, you know, maybe not a counterpoint, but as complementary or as potential conflict to my own priorities. So it, not meant to screw with people, but I did want to show a certain roundness to the checklist and, and illustrate several different perspectives and, and competing priorities. Well, because it's a it's a big space. Dev, it's a big DevOps world out there. <laughs> That's right. A whole new world. Yeah. I, the, one of the other ones I, I thought was interesting, there's sort of a couple of references to burnout in here, and I think it kind of – it seems – Burnout has been a really big topic recently uh, in the community. There's been a lot of discussions, uh, hopefully a lot of ongoing discussions. Um, there were there was a, some more discussions I think earlier in the year, and some of that's died down a little bit. But uh, but discussions about that, and and you have an item in here. Uh, our product team is focused on sustainable velocity rather than current speed. And there's uh, a couple other things about when we detect problems, we prioritize fixing them in an operational context. Mm -hmm. um, was this, did you put this together before the nod to burnout or is it just one of those things that I've said before and I'll say again, one of these things where we talk about, you know, it's nice to be nice. So people talk about, well, not not doing mean things to people on call or not making the de development team run sprint, literally sprint for six months in a, a stint. Um, that it actually results in better business outcomes. It's not about. It's actually. It is nice to be nice, but it's not actually about being nice. It's about actually not systematically destroying every member of your team. Right. It's it's nice to be nice, but it also happens to be profitable and humane. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so I mean, what, did these items that you put in come in before the burnout thing, or or was that, was that just a thing of healthy organizations do things this way, and and more of a nod to that? Yeah. Well, this actually came out I think around 
second week of December last year. So it was before a lot of attention towards burnout. And my motivation for including those items was actually, it was, it was somewhat related to burnout, but it was actually, I think, mainly inspired by some scrum training that I did early in December where I went for a product owner class and I went for a scrum master class. And the focus of a lot of that material was establishing a sustainable cadence and building up momentum and making sure that you could sustain a very high velocity over a long period of time with a team that's very happy and very comfortable and trusting. And, uh, you know, that, that was prescribed as, as the, the method for building a high-performance team. And that really inspired me because I, it sort of affirmed a lot of assumptions that I'd had and, and sort of spelled out how it works in the long term. And there was a lot of examples around like teams that had operated this way very successfully in the past and, and had fantastic results. So I was kind of inspired more from the, the sustainable velocity angle, but you know it's entirely appropriate to not burning out your people, like not grinding them into... Uh, Pulverized little pieces. <laughs> yes, exactly. Into then, raw materials for use. Right, and then and then putting them in a toaster to make sure they're all, all nice and toasty. <laughs> the other thing, I, I think this is sort of a testament to this list. I was actually looking, again, if you're looking at it from 10,000 or 20,000 feet and not just focused on the checklist items, you, you have a number of items that speak to, to chat ops and uh, continuous delivery, but you don't call it that. You talk about we have you know centralized IM or we we merge our code against a mainline, but you don't use those terms. Why didn't you use those terms? Well, I, I didn't really want it to be sort of uh, a bingo exercise. Tab <laughs> uh, you <know>. ops bingo. <laughs> also, those those terms are scary. They're all, they're just as bad as the scary like the the, the scary checklist. That's yeah. true. That's very true. That's actually That's, a really I've been, excellent point. A lot of a lot of a lot of people and like this is this is again from personal experience. Like we're going around. We're we're telling people like how we do the DevOps and how we think they should maybe do the DevOps. And there's this whole it's you, you just you just see it everywhere. And you you there's it's weird because I've been in these presentations where I've been talking to a company and we're delivering like a message to say their 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 internal salespeople or something like that. And we're basically saying like DevOps by any other name, but we're not using the word DevOps because that's a scary word well, this for is, this you know, for this particular market. You know, this particular market or this where they're at in their their evolution. And so using some of those words, I found is is almost counterproductive. Like it's for some sometimes it's buzzword bingo, and I, like people are like, oh yeah, you you hit the checkbox. Other times you say those words, and those people are like, oh that's. I had, you know, I experimented once with agile in college, and and, and that's that's. Yeah. I mean, it's very much the response you get. Yeah, yeah. Heather Mickman from Target and uh, Ross Clanton, uh, both from Target, actually speak to this. They they talk about how they kind of started talking about DevOps, but then they stopped because it was a bad word, or even if it wasn't a quote unquote bad word in people's minds, it was at least a such an overloaded and hyped word, um, right. and so they stopped using it. So it, it, it so was it a com was it that. Uh, that aspect of it, and also maybe maybe in five years we'll call continuous delivery like quantum delivery or something like that, and you don't want to, you don't want to. I I don't have like overly high hopes for the for the lifetime of the checklist, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot to be said for trying not to alienate an audience and people. Like I intend people to come to the checklist ideally knowing nothing of of what DevOps is. Like that's that's who I. I built this for. It's not for it's not for the insiders to go and feel good about how close to 100% they get. It's really for the people who are, want to look at their organization and be like, okay, what do I start with? Like, what what is this? What does any of this mean? And how do I actually wrap my head around what? So that's what why it doesn't. That's why it doesn't use the jargon because that's. What yeah, I mean, if I could avoid using the word DevOps, I absolutely would. Like, <laughs> that would be fantastic. But otherwise, you know, nobody would find it ever. So it'd be very <laughs> counterproductive. Well, that's—I was gonna say—that's that's an interesting thing to point out, and I've seen this with people who are, you know, names in like, you know, in the DevOps community, and but they're in that DevOps like thought leader echo chamber. They, you know, you 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 they go to a conference that's, you know, say way behind the curve, you know, so it's a big big giant enterprise conference, and they're like, yeah, you should be doing everything this way, and everything you're doing is stupid and wrong, and you're gonna die. Right. And then and like it's don't get it like it's it's 
because if you give that at a slightly smaller venue or conference, people are going to be like, yeah, because they're close enough to that that, right. that future you're promising them. But these other people, you're like, yeah, and like microservices and Docker and like Kubernetes stuff and like magic. And they're like, what? We can, it's, we have, it takes us two weeks to provision an IIS server. Like they're, they're so, you got to like baby steps. And, and like, I think some of those, uh, like I've, I've noticed recently a lot of that language, just those choices and everything really do matter because a lot of these people have been burned by that jargon. So is this one of those, you, mm. you're, you, Seth, you're basically saying you don't go full DevOps checklist? Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's, it's, it's scary. I've, and I've had companies that basically are, I'm actually there to help provide them with what is essentially a DevOps checklist. <laughs> but it's, it's one of the things where you're like, well, the first rule about the DevOps checklist is it's not actually a checklist. It can't actually exist. But here are some guidelines, and it's it's hard because you're essentially you're essentially like describing a lot of things like best practices, and you're saying things like continuous delivery and continuous integration, and all of these things really. And this is and you notice like the the focus. Maybe you guys talked about earlier is a lot of the the conversation is now moving to compliance and auditing because mm-hmm. that's a that's a really tangible benefit from people. So you can say well, well that's continue- that's that's that was the major hurdle and it's kind of interesting right. to see devops co-opting that and say no you can actually do it better than mm. a 58 page document that yeah. everybody just talks to and signs off on and then when you actually go look at it, it you know it's the china syndrome where they were all lying on the inspection reports yeah so, so that's the cool thing because we i mean we're seeing this at very specifically when at jeff when we're we're talking to customers and like you know we're the things that we think are cool and the things that like customers especially enterprise customers find value out of like the the auditing and analytics stuff like that that stuff they oh my god they're like oh you mean I can write I can give rules to my audit team or my security team or you know whoever and they can write audit rules to like figure out like things about your infrastructure whatever it is they, there's a, there's a lot of value there and if you you can dress up continuous integration continuous delivery as being these necessary things to achieve that goal and it's amazing how quickly people are like oh yeah sure we'll take all we'll take continuous delivery like if it gets us this auditing you know this this cool biz over here and and it's I mean it's really it's it's interesting to see the different motivators for different organizations and and how and how vastly different those motivators can be even for organizations in the same scope or space right and, and every company sort of has a different devops tolerance right like when they're starting out they could be you know anywhere along the spectrum and it's it's just like anything else if you go too hard in one direction with someone who is new to a space they just shut down right they just have no way of processing it and they have no frame of reference so they lose it and it doesn't stick at all and just doesn't make any sense and so they're they don't follow up with it at all but something that always i always try and remind myself of is that every time i go to a devops stage there's always uh, a show of hands of like who's new like who's never been to a devops stage before and it's always the majority of the audience and a lot of those people are there not knowing anything they just heard about this conference they have conference money they have to get rid of they have to go to a thing or you know their whole team is going so they ended up there and Keeping that in mind sort of reminds me that I, you know, I can't just talk inside baseball all the time. To really help people, you've got to start with the basics and make sure that they're following along, and then you can get to the more advanced stuff. Yeah, I mean, we still largely live in a bubble, an echo chamber of DevOps. You know, it's not as insulated as other communities. I mean, I was at a security conference recently, and oh yeah, secu- security is you know, infosec is is far more insulated than DevOps is. Yeah, but that being said, like there are still like I was having a conversation with you know a friend who you know is doing operations for a company and trying to convince him why time series data mattered, like why why monitoring the systems with time series data was important, and the response was just kind of like well everything just works you know and if I if I go and set that up it's going to cut into my margins and all this other stuff like everything just works it's like you know it's like your brain almost doesn't comprehend it because you've kind of been in that bubble so long but mm-hmm. you know if you can have something that is at that basic level that isn't meant to be prescriptive but is meant to be more like just shaking like, the cognates yeah it's like it's, it's just like let's get the conversation going like like let's take an honest look at this one I think that that, that checklist would be a really great thing to to put in front of a team, you know, because everyone's perception is going to be totally different, right? Let's put it in front of a team and, and see, well, 10% of the people thought we're at like an 80%, but everyone else thought we're at 20. Like, what's the difference here? Who are these people? And, and, the, and, the, one, and the one person who actually knows how everything works 
actually just scrawled in their own blood like a terrifying story and you're like you're like everyone else thinks it's fine but this one person thinks everything's on fire oh and they're the best to run it that's right and he didn't get invited to the meeting <laughs> right of course they didn't yeah they didn't get invited to the meeting right yeah I it was that. it was faxed to them at some point <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. here's what we're doing we wow. failed the checklist you have to do the following <laughs> to the point about bringing more people into the the fold and and more people sort of trying to figure out what this is and and going from there, uh, I I the list has a huge number of items actually related to the product team. Was that a conscious decision or was that just more when you were looking at behaviors they need to be involved so you kind of put them in there? That was again I think mostly inspiration from that training I was going through at the time, just focused entirely on. It really doesn't matter what we do behind the scenes if we deliver to customers, right? Like everything that we do serves an outward purpose. And that really has to be the principal motivation for most of what we do and how we do things. And so I think thinking in terms of a product is challenging for a lot of people in ops and, and even development because they, they can easily be removed from the reality that they are delivering something to a customer, whether it's internal or external. And if you frame things in terms of what the end result is and who you're actually accountable for, it helps put a lot of this in perspective and maybe put some context to you know, the gravity of, of the items that you might be missing and why they might be important. Uh, so what's your favorite item? I think I gotta go right back up to the top. Like I think, basically dovetailing on the, on the last question, I think prioritizing based on business objectives is, is really a pre prerequisite for getting anything done, you know, that's of value in an organization. Like if, you know, you come to work because you're part of a team that's trying to do something. And if you do things that are contrary to that purpose or somehow misaligned with what your greater team is trying to do, you're at best wasting time. And if you think of things under that umbrella, then a lot of this stuff sort of falls into place eventually. But I think that's the, the sort of highest level one that I think serves as kind of a linchpin for the rest. For me. Um, have you uh, have you had any of the, the unicorns, the so-called unicorns, take the checklist or give you feedback on it? I don't know any. I'm not cool enough to know any unicorns, so I couldn't <laughs> actually. If there are any unicorns out there, holler. Yeah, do the checklist and let us know. I know they listen to this podcast, so it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Now, so the, the one question I had, because uh, I was curious, that I, I think a lot of people may be wondering is, again, and we talked a little bit about this, what would you say to people that are kind of, you know, they think, oh, this is a checklist, I hate checklists, I hate run books, or that somehow there's some certification you can get that's <laughs> related to this, you know, this checklist. What would you say to those people? Well, I, I think the main motivation for this is just sort of documenting state, you know, at a point of time. So whether you've, you're taking it for the first time and you totally fail it, or you're taking it for the fifth time and it's been uh, six months, it's really just a self-evaluation. You know, you can be as honest as you want. You can totally, you can totally lie your way through the whole thing and maybe feel fantastic, but it's really only a reflection of your own environment. And, uh, you know, maybe that's, Maybe that's surprising to you. Maybe it's pleasant. Maybe it's unpleasant. One thing I've, I found so, sort of an interesting thought would be performing this evaluation and maybe you flunk out and, and we highlight a couple of companies who they actually vouch for the items on this list and they, they feel that they strive to satisfy uh, something like this and, and they'd be happy to employ people who are stuck in uh, companies that uh, couldn't care less. It's uh well that that was my my next question um what's next for this are you 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 gonna use it as a a play for jobs and other things Stack Exchange does that I don't know see I have I have nothing I might be the best person to to care for this thing because I have nothing to gain from it anymore <laughs> now that I'm no longer consulting but uh, so maybe I'm I am the best shepherd for something like this and I can I can impartially add some functionality like that without. Uh, 
playing to anybody's interests. But uh, I would love to spend a lot of a lot more time on it. I'd love to open it up. So I'd love to post it and uh, get some of those improvements going, or get some thoughts on on how it can change and how it can evolve. I think I have the green light to open source it, but uh, I will. Uh, don't take my word for it. I'll, I'll that'd, validate that. That'd be great. Uh, so uh, we can we can uh, fork it on GitHub and do pull requests. Yeah, exactly. I like the idea of it becoming sort of like a, a running dialogue. Like if we had GitHub issues about like item 52 is just ridiculous and needs to die. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Well, and it'd be interesting happen. to know too, you could then, when somebody asks why is this like that, you could point them to that discussion and say, oh, well, it's because of this. Exactly, and there's a lot of items in here where, you know, I filled in a couple of elaborations for more detail, but there's a lot that's missing some context. There's a lot that we could build on and sort of make it a, a living document of, sort of what the community means uh, when they say DevOps and what they what they think it encompasses. There was something that Schaefer showed me maybe a year or two ago. It was this the dimensions of the learning organization questionnaire, which I'm not sure if you all have seen this. So this is actually a very old thing that's been, I think it's it came out. Oh, of, wait, it's in the list. Yeah, it's in the list of references. Oh, it is. <laughs> I have okay. seen it. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. So, yeah. yeah um, it's in there. Yeah, so the, like, the questions that are in that questionnaire are actually all, I mean, it's a lot, there's a lot of questions in there, but they are, like, really all, they're all quite amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And they're all specific to, like, the learning aspect of stuff, so I think those are, those are cool. Yeah, this was one of the things that made me feel better about having 48 items in the checklist. Because <laughs> it's, like, 100 items. All right, well, uh, Steve, thanks for taking the time to uh, chat with us this evening. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we'll be looking for we'll be looking for that uh, GitHub repo. Yeah, yeah, hold me to that. Yeah, uh, we'll get it done. Yep. All right, we'll be back in a moment uh, here on the ship show. Back to the ship show. So for our last segment tonight, again, we're draining the mode of tooltips, trying to get rid of all of the tooltips. And today we have kind of a kitschy one for you. Might be a little scary for some. Just finished up uh, Halloween, so uh, you can use this to scare your friends and colleagues. Or if you're more in the Halloweeny mode, it may make your life easier. It might be a, a splendid gift. We're talking about uh, Batch.org, which is B-A-T-S-H.org. It is a compiler. It's a meta language that compiles both to Bash and Windows Batch. So you can write your scripts in a meta language. Um, I mean, and, I have I have yeah. just reservations about this because at one point in my life that was actually something that was totally needed, and then at another at another point I'm like, what what? How does that help the world? So I mean, this is I don't, one of those things where um, I this this is this tool is going to help someone. It is. It really in a is. Great way, but. I don't. I don't want to live in a world where this tool would actually <laughs> help my life at all. <laughs> well, they said so. The the syntax is uh, C based. So if you know C, Java, C plus plus, JavaScript, uh, you should be good to go. They give you examples of assignment expressions, commands, conditions, if if statements, stuff like that. They they basically say the reason it's for for its existence is that you know because they point out well why wouldn't I have Python or other things and they point out that on Windows that's all pain to install. Um, I, don't I mean that's that's all no that's I mean that's all true. I mean coming from somebody who installs Ruby on Windows regularly, like Ruby is hella slow on Windows to do some shit like just to do basic stuff even. So I can totally see. I mean I can totally see why. At the same time, it kind of defeats point. I. I I'm glad, like, I'm all about this being a tool that helps somebody. I know there were terrible things, like, there was that, this automating tool that I used back in the day that automated UIs and stuff, and it's it was terrible, but I did it, and it worked, it solved a problem for me, and, you know, so I, I don't want to, I, I, I approve of it, but I don't want to live in a world where people need to use it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to believe, I don't want to believe it, I don't want to give it any credibility. But, but Seth, it's implemented in OCaml. 
hipster language. No, I don't. I don't. I don't care about but, that. But OCaml. I hate. I hate. I, I, can, I hate. You can I run it that. on FreeBSD. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I want to do. Is running some <laughs> OCaml on FreeBSD. I have that generates things. that that generates bash and batch. <laughs> I have better things. I, especially if I run FreeBSD, why the hell would I run bash? Why would I even put that on the system? All right, <laughs> you you don't do bash. You want Z well, there is no bash on FreeBSD. I I know Shell. exactly. That's this is what I'm. Cheese, yeah. Paul, get with get with the cool kids and our lack of bash and OCaml. <laughs> All right, conferences coming up. Scale January 21st through the 24th in 2016. Uh, that will be an event to attend. I know that's one of Elon's big events. Uh, he's helping us with the DevOps Day Silicon Valley. So uh, that's his, his baby event. And uh, so hopefully we'll see you down there. It'll be nice and sunny in um, January. It should be good. So from a chilly uh, and dry San Francisco, this is Paul Reed signing off. From uh, rainy Seattle, this is Seth signing off. From a very rainy Boston, this is Pete signing off. Can I have some of your guys' rain? No, no, you're not. No, you, you California, you you deal with you deal with that. Like we we got the earthquake coming. You deal with the lack of water. That's your own fault. All right. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see y'all in a couple weeks.